Welcome to the third episode of Reimagining Defence, brought to you by Lieutenant Colonel Henry Willey and myself, Flight Lieutenant James Coote. The thoughts are our own and do not represent the MOD. The podcast is for people who want to become bilingual in the languages of defence and technology. Through examining how exponential technologies are fundamentally disrupting organisations worldwide, we explore how we might harness them to reimagine defence. The founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, once said, You don't generate your own electricity, why generate your own computing? He was, of course, referring to cloud computing. In this episode, we're going to explore what cloud computing is, how world-leading startups like the ride-sharing company Uber exploit it to its full potential, why the US Department of Defense just awarded a $10 billion contract to Microsoft to provide their cloud platform, and finally, we'll reimagine Casivac using cloud computing and autonomous vehicles. So back to the metaphor. Why is generating computing, as Bezos puts it, like generating electricity? Well, Generating electricity is complex, needs a lot of infrastructure, and benefits from economies of scale. So it makes sense for centralised companies to generate large amounts of electricity and sell it to others. That means we, as customers, can simply plug into the grid and have the exact amount of electricity we require delivered instantly, only being charged for what we use. Buy an electric car and suddenly use more electricity? It's there instantly. The only thing that changes is your bill. Bezos argues that cloud computing is similar. To host a website or application, you need considerable infrastructure. Physical infrastructure like servers and software infrastructure. The code that makes the site appear as it does, a database that collects data inputted by users, security protocols, analytics, etc. Now, traditionally, you would source all of these things yourself, requiring not insignificant technical expertise, capital, and ongoing maintenance. But with public cloud computing, providers like Amazon, Google, or Microsoft, amongst many others, have bought millions of servers, loaded them up with loads of helpful tools and infrastructure, and made them instantly accessible through the internet. So we can hire as much computing power to host your applications as you need, whenever you need it, without needing to handle the maintenance and benefiting from significant economies of scale. Making a new website? Well, don't worry, they have helpful tools to make it easier to do. And you'll only be charged a small amount since you'll hardly have any traffic visit your site, at least initially. And what if it suddenly becomes the new Facebook? Well, no problem. You can upgrade to bigger and better servers at the click of a button and your bill goes up, instantly able to scale your business in response to demand, only paying for what you use. So in essence, the cloud is just like the electricity grid except for computing. Why is this so important, you ask? Well, two features stand out. Firstly, it's flexibility to scale up or down to your demands instantaneously. And secondly, the accessibility of the public cloud through the internet, which enables the convergence of the exponentially increasing number of internet-connected devices. Let's take a fictitious military example to illustrate. Let's say you want to release a new intelligence mobile application which allows local people in a foreign state to report suspicious activity. It's like a private Twitter feed of intelligence. You build a prototype rapidly and are ready to deploy it. 
Now, traditionally, this would mean buying some servers for a hefty bill and taking time to set them up, not even knowing if the application would be a success or a complete flop. The cloud allows you to achieve this in minutes. Simply choose to rent a small and cheap server to start with and deploy your code. Many of the time-consuming steps, like building the database structure or overlaying the security protocols, are already at least part built in by the cloud provider, so you can focus on delivering the product. Let's play out a few developments of this scenario. Let's say the launch goes badly. No one likes the app and uptake is low. No problem. You turn off the cloud computing server, cut your losses and move on to the next project. You didn't spend time or big money on sorting the infrastructure. You've truly failed fast with minimum expenditure. What if the app launch went well though, with it suddenly gaining 10 times the number of users that you expected? Now, traditionally, this would crash your service or necessitate that you quickly buy more physical servers and set them up too. Not with the cloud though. Simply pay for a more powerful server and in a matter of seconds, you can scale to any size you want within your budget, of course. So your app is now in widespread use and providing great real-time intelligence. However, one of the analysts has flagged that some of your users may be providing spurious intel. The analyst knows that machine learning is often used for spam filtering in your emails and wonders whether the individuals who are providing the system with false information can be identified and removed from the app in a similar way to spam. Many cloud providers share a suite of easy to implement tools and ready-made protocols for deploying such a machine learning model. So you benefit from this pre-existing virtual infrastructure and implement the software rapidly. You know this otherwise would have taken a degree of skill that none of your team possess, but because the cloud provider equips you with industry standard tools, your colleagues simply looked up how to do it from a YouTube video. You spin this new software up and your app suddenly becomes one of the most valuable int resources in the area. Over the coming six months, the app is continuously iteratively developed and scaled across another 25 countries, simply paying as you go. Usage is the only thing you're paying for, but you're happy to pay more for usage as more usage means more intelligence. Six months later, a new way of collecting intelligence of that area comes along though, entirely expected due to the exponential rate of development of technology we discussed in episode one. So you turn off the application, you're tied into no contracts, bought no servers, and we're simply paying as you go anyway. Hopefully that example has whet your appetite of what's to come. Now let's dive into some real life examples in use today. Let's take Uber, a 10 year old taxi company that owns no taxis. It's a prime example of how cloud computing allows the modern business the flexibility to scale and diversify rapidly, whilst benefiting enormously from the convergence of different technologies, namely in Uber's case, mobile technology, AI and big data. First, let's consider its scale. From 2014 to 2017, the amount of data flowing through Uber increased by a factor of 100,000. Cloud computing was one of the key enablers to Uber achieving this without grinding to a complete halt. Let's now consider some of its services and how cloud computing lays the foundations for them. First, take Uber Eats. Usually it would be unheard of for a taxi company to diversify into food delivery. However, cloud computing allows you to rapidly deploy a new service with minimal investment in infrastructure, then scale it or turn it off depending on whether it works. 
In Uber Eats' case, of course, it seems to be working. It's forecast to deliver $10 billion of food this year. Then let's take, for example, Uber's pool feature, developed in 2014, which allows users to share rides with other people, depending upon their location and a similar destination. This, of course, requires some quite complex analytics, gathering data from individuals who want rides, optimally grouping them, and connecting them to nearby drivers who want to give rides. If you wanted to replicate this, which the military might consider, as we'll discuss later on in this episode, you would need rapid servers with high uptime and to be able to run some pretty complex analytics on some sizable databases. Many cloud providers would at least be able to provide you with much of the infrastructure which allows this, massively reducing your time to deployment and reducing the risk that, if it wasn't deemed to be a useful feature, you couldn't iterate upon it at pace or turn it off without wasting too much money. Developing the Uber story a little further, Let's now consider the changing landscape as we move into an era in which self-driving cars will become more abundant, an area in which Uber is investing significantly. Now, if they were a traditional cab company whose cars and drivers were their greatest asset, the future might look rather bleak. However, because Uber doesn't own any cars and instead focuses on providing scalable and flexible software for getting from A to B, they're far better prepared for this shift. Put simply, as soon as autonomous cars come online, the only thing that will change for Uber is replacing the input of which driver is available and where they are to the autonomous vehicle's status and position. It won't need paying, will have less accidents, and certainly won't strike. I wonder whether listening to that example of how cloud computing enabled Uber to experiment, scale, and diversify has got you thinking about what cloud computing might enable in your unit. In this final section, we're going to explore what cloud computing might enable for defence over the next five years. First up, we should note that we have a pretty high degree of confidence that this is the way that militaries around the world will go. The MOD recently released ModCloud, which is starting to provide some public cloud services and is gaining growing investment. Across the pond, The US Department of Defense has just awarded a $10 billion 10-year contract to Microsoft to deliver its cloud infrastructure. These growing cloud services, combined with an increasingly digitally literate workforce thanks to schemes like the J-Hub coding scheme, are going to enable us to start moving into an era where operators and their coding colleagues can create, rapidly deploy, and iterate on solutions to their problems. A key piece of the puzzle in engaging in prototype warfare. So let's dive into a fictional example of what the cloud might enable for military transport of the future, focusing in on a scenario in which all of the best bits of the cloud are utilized, its flexibility and scalability, and the wealth of tools available on it. Imagine you're working in a small section at a FOB or Ford operating base. Out on patrol for 12 hours, you end up being engaged and taking casualties. The airspace is denied, so you need to be picked up by land. You request urgent pickup through a new prototype application on your military phone. It takes your GPS coordinates and your number of casualties requiring evacuation and sends these up to the cloud, where it optimally connects you to which autonomous vehicles are available in the vicinity and dispatches them on the most efficient routes. It's like deployed autonomous Uber. 
you receive an almost immediate notification of the convoy being dispatched and the ETA. The convoy takes a route plotted by a new mapping software hosted on the cloud, which uses computer vision to identify passable tracks from satellite imagery, combining this with its real-time view from its sensor array, ensuring that it's not about to drive into a ditch. The extraction is a success. So much so, in fact, that many other units demand the same provision. The prototype is rapidly scaled up over the coming days to all other deployed teams in the region, simply requiring purchasing some more service space on the cloud and the section commanders downloading the app onto their phones. One of the small teams complains though. They're deeply embedded, so don't have a forward operating base within distance from an autonomous vehicle to get to them within a two to four hour window. They believe that a small change to the app, which also allows the ordering of blood to be delivered by a small drone, would increase their chances of survival if one of them were to suffer a major traumatic injury. One of their section took the J-Hub coding scheme, draws a mock-up of what the solution might look like and builds a quick and dirty prototype, sending it back to the new Cloud Operations Centre in the UK. Here, they productize a beta version of the app, run virtual simulations to show that it would work, and then rapidly deploy the beta version to this selected section. Found to only be useful in very select circumstances, the product is never scaled, but remains utilised for this specific section and similar sections to it. Another patrol has a different complaint. One of their autonomous vehicles drove over a large IED on the way to pick up the casualty, rendering it unserviceable and leaving them stranded for a number of hours. The section commander was aware that there are now small internet-connected vibration sensors disguised as pebbles available, and he proposes that local roads are covered with these pebbles to track whether the roads are dug up to plant IEDs. The cloud provider already provisions infrastructure which enables easy connection of Internet of Things devices such as these pebbles, and can use machine learning on signals from the pebbles to identify whether there's been a disturbance in the ground. It's actually a combination used by farmers to check for trespassers, and there's a YouTube video of how to set it up. Using this knowledge, the Cloud Operations Center sets it up and routes for extraction are automatically updated to avoid spots identified as potentially having had an IED dug in them. The solution is so successful that this chunk of code is copied and pasted into many other applications, such as those for autonomous convoys on common resupply routes. The versatility of the cloud means that this is almost as simple as clicking copy and paste. Before we conclude, we'd like to carefully caveat one critical challenge to Defence's cloud computing strategy. Vendor lock-in. As such a wide range of our future software products will be dependent upon infrastructure and tools proprietary to our cloud provider, switching between providers might be a significant challenge. The Department of Defense in the US has bitten the bullet and clearly believes the trade-off is worth it with their $10 billion Microsoft contract, whereas China has hedged its bets by awarding several contracts to separate cloud providers, also arguing that the enhanced security of having multiple providers with different security protocols is important. It's beyond the scope of this podcast to assess which is the better strategy. But as ModCloud seems to hedge its bets for the moment, we thought it an important point to mention. So, to conclude, 
Hopefully we've convinced you that cloud computing lays the foundations for much of Defence's business as usual and is also a key enabler for prototype warfare. It allows incredible flexibility in software development, iteration and scaling and much quicker deployment of products due to much of the infrastructure being taken care of by the cloud provider. It is important to note, however, that this approach will be impossible without unprecedented empowerment of our junior personnel. They'll need to be upskilled in cloud computing and cloud best practices, and given access to cloud computing resources with appropriate financial delegation to carry out prototype work without delay. They'll also desperately need to be a centralised function, like the Cloud Operations Centre we touted in this episode, to define the best practices by which they're trained prune unsuccessful innovations, and rapidly scale the successful ones. The J-Hub coding scheme is currently building out a cloud computing module as part of the Defence Digital Academy in line with these principles. Keep listening to the outro for how to get involved. Some of this approach we've mentioned will be deeply uncomfortable to those with 2-10 to year procurement mindsets, which is of course appropriate for shipbuilding amongst other things. But as we explained in the first episode, Due to the giant leaps we're now making in technology due to the exponential pace of computing development, we need now more than ever to be agile and iterate, instead of taking giant committing steps and being outmaneuvered in the interim. We're an organisation famed for its stability that now needs to become famed for its agility. The cloud is a big part of that. We hope you enjoyed this episode, narrated and written by myself, James Coote, and edited by Lieutenant Colonel Henry Willey. We'd like to thank the AADP, the Army's Advanced Development Programme, and the RAF Medical Services for allowing us the journalistic freedom to create this podcast. The thoughts are our own and do not represent the MOD or these organisations. If you want to delve deeper, you can access the script and references for this podcast by sending us a blank email with your rating of the podcast in the subject line from 0 to 10 to redefpod at gmail.com or by checking out our Twitter at redefpod. Just to be clear, redefpod is R-E-D-E-F-P-O-D. For those who want to learn how to code, apply data science or learn agile project management techniques, check out the J-Hub coding scheme where you'll get paid up to £500 for learning these skills and have your achievement logged on JPA. Just search J-Hub Coding Scheme on DefNet. Finally, if this podcast has sparked any ideas for innovative capability that you want to get into the hands of military users, you can submit your ideas via the new GEMS platform found at def-ideas.wazoku.com. Alternatively, reach out directly to DARE for the Navy, Aerial for the Army, RCA for the RAF or J-Hub for Stratcom, all found by a quick search on DefNet. If you've enjoyed this episode on reimagining defence, we'd be over the moon if you could share it with a friend and leave us a five-star review. Until our next episode on automation, take care.